Hello and welcome to Starting Over with Shannon. This is a podcast about fresh starts, new chapters and embracing change and challenge to become a better version of ourselves and create a better world around us. I'm your host Shannon Jenkins and every week I'll be bringing you a different Starting Over story with tips on how to conquer life's difficulties to find greater joy, meaning and purpose. Hey everyone, I want to start by thanking you all who have chosen me and this podcast today. I know that you have so many options to choose from these days, so I'm so grateful that you choose to spend your precious time here with me and the guests that I select for you. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. You will find here lots of episodes which are created with the express intention of helping you with your healing, self-development and spiritual growth. And if you've you've been listening to this podcast for a while but haven't clicked follow where you are listening to, please do so. So on the agenda today is gut health and the brain-gut connection. Maybe this is new to you. If so, welcome to the club because it's new for me too. I actually became increasingly interested in the topic when I found out that there is indisputable evidence that now demonstrates that the health of our gut has a direct impact on our mental health as well. And the guest that I've brought on to discuss all of this with us is British nutritional therapist, author and podcaster Eve Kalinick. She's the author of two books, which I've linked in the show notes for you. First, Be Good to Your Gut, and her second, Happy Gut, Happy Mind. And she regularly writes on the subjects of food, nutrition, and well-being for media platforms and newspapers, including The Telegraph, Stella, The Guardian, GQ, and Vogue. She is also the co-host of podcast The Wellness Collective that helps listeners to separate health fads from fiction by putting themselves in the hot seat. So in our conversation today, we consider Eve's own starting over, moving into functional medicine and nutrition from the busy world of fashion public relations, considering some of her serendipitous moments along the way. Eve also breaks down for us what our gut actually is, what are some signs that we have trouble with our gut and what we could do about it. I hope you enjoy the conversation and that this sparks some moments of reflection for you about the choices that you are making in life. I know I had a couple of those. Here is my conversation with Eve. Eve, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Starting Over with Shannon. It's been some time that I have been seeking out somebody to speak on this topic of gut health. And needless to say, I came across you and was like, yes, you have perfect story to tell. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on. One thing I read at the introduction of your last book, Happy Gut, Happy Mind, was about people having a gut instinct or a gut feeling Mm -hmm. about someone or an experience being gut-wrenching. And we have all of these terms that we use that talk about the gut when we haven't actually made that connection that that could actually possibly mean something other than 
possibly fate or the universe or God or somebody coming in here, putting something into you that isn't inherent in your body. So Mm -hmm. loved that comment. And it's something that I would love for you to um, illuminate on. Yeah, so I guess that those phrases that you just mentioned are ones that we stereotypically think of as quite metaphysical. Like you said, like a kind of like almost woo-woo really in a way. But actually, as we're discovering more and more about the gut, specifically the gut microbiome, which are all of the trillions of microbes that live in our guts, which is, again, you can't really imagine it. Although I'll give you a good analogy of how I kind of explain that to people. So they kind of have a, a concept of that. I don't even know how many zeros are in a trillion. So well, yeah, just it's just like, I mean, it's such a, a huge number. You, you, there's no way of comprehending it really. Right. But what, the, the more we know about or we're beginning to understand about the gut microbiome, and bearing in mind, this is quite a modern science. Like it's only really in the last, say, 30 to 50 years that we've really begun to understand about the gut microbiome and what it does. And we're uncovering more and more research is developing like almost daily around this area of science. But as we're discovering that, we realize that it's much more of a physical concept than this metaphysical gut instinct. It's funny though, that we have used those expressions for millennia, probably. I mean, God knows how long, but that kind of intuition as it were, not really known that actually there are all these tiny microbes in our gut that are doing so much for us producing chemicals and substances that help us to support our immune system. Most of our immune system is located and managed in our gut predominantly by the microbiome, like 70 to 80%. Things like how we, even things related to our cognitive health, so how we think and feel like neurotransmitters, things like serotonin, which a lot of your listeners would have heard about, which is that that happy hormone. 95% of that is produced in our guts and dopamine is the kind of reward neurotransmitter, things like GABA, which is one of the body's most prolific inhibitory neurotransmitters, even melatonin that helps us to go to sleep. So there's so many areas that our gut physically has such an important and pivotal role in. And like I said, as we're we're uncovering more and more of that, we realize that that gut instinct is actually a real thing. There are things physically happening in our guts. But a good analogy, I think, as well, particularly related to those brain-gut phrases, which are the ones that you mentioned, is that the gut microbiome is about the same size and weighs the same amount as the brain in our head. So I think that sometimes helps people visualize that a bit more, even though you can't see them because they're microscopic, obviously. But it's just a good way to get an understanding about how important it is. And and now we're considering the gut microbiome biome an organ in its own right because it's doing all of these things and yeah. so it's, it's really I mean it's such an exciting area of of science obviously I'm biased but you know I, I do no, think but that. It, it is increasingly heard about you know and even doing a yeah. quick YouTube search for this would be like the most important organ you've never heard of and yeah. it, and it's true but we are starting to speak about it more and of course that's why people like me are like okay let's have people like this on the podcast to talk about it with us but before we yeah. go over to the professional aspect of your work I want to go to your personal starting over story and what led you into mm-hmm. becoming a nutritionist or nutritional therapist so can you take me back to when you were working in PR and in fashion and the kind of lifestyle that you were living at that point before you burnt out yeah sure 
So I ended up just landing in fashion, really, because actually my degree was in psychology. So it is interesting how I've sort of come in a way back around to that via the gut in that gut brain connection side of things. But I ended up working in fashion and started out, it was really good fun. And as I moved up the ranks, let's just say, and I did move up quite quickly, I was fortunate to progress yeah, in, in a really positive way in that career in terms of my seniority, but with the seniority came a lot more stress. And anybody that's worked in the fashion industry knows that it is incredibly pressured, particularly on the PR side of things. So I did do a bit of a stint in editorial. So I worked for Glamour magazine. I was fashion and beauty editor there for a while. But with the PR side of things, which was predominantly what I was doing when I was in fashion, it, it is a bit of a thankless role PR because nobody's going to say to you at the end of the month oh you know you've done enough PR for me now it's kind of like what's the next thing and you're sending everybody flowers and everybody's shouting at you so you've got to build up quite a thick skin and I think anybody that's got any level of empathy I mean I'm not saying that like people in the fashion industry don't because they do and that's why a lot of them do get on well but it's quite hard to keep taking those blows and not have it affect you and for me it was a bit of a progressive thing like most people like most clients I see so I started getting what were just traditional UTIs and I started going to the doctor and they just give me at the time before we kind of really understood about the side effects of antibiotics I was getting antibiotics which then progressed into almost like a monthly prescription of antibiotics and then I it ended up being more like kidney infections and then I got diagnosed with something called interstitial cystitis which is almost like a chronic pain in the bladder area in the pelvic area and I do see clients now with interstitial cystitis and I know how viscerally emotional that is it's like There were days, honestly, where I was a bit like, I just don't, I can't cope with this anymore. And I would say that I'm quite a resilient person, but it was really quite debilitating. And I don't mean just physically, I mean mentally as well, where I was just getting up with this chronic pain. So it ended up that I was having antibiotics prophylactically. So every day, a small dose of of antibiotics to stave off another infection And honestly, I remember the moment, the pivotal moment where I was like, I have fucking had enough now where I literally was taking this antibiotic and my gut was all over the place. And at the time I didn't, yeah, I didn't know how, but I don't think anybody really knew how much antibiotics affects your gut health because we're talking, this was like almost say 18, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But I just remember thinking this just isn't right. And so it started me on a journey at that point. And I went to see many different traditional doctors and specialists in that area, of which their only real answer were things like giving me more medications. There was some treatments around stretching my bladder and these this coating treatments in my bladder, none of which I really felt intuitively were the right thing for me. But again, I didn't know really much, very much at the time. And I ended up going to see a functional medical practitioner. It was a kind of a friend of a friend who'd said, Maybe you want to try a slightly different route. Approach. Yeah. And so I went to see this guy and he did a whole load of additional tests, which I now run in parts as part of my practice on my gut, on my adrenals. So the adrenals are basically the tiny, they're like walnuts sized glands that sit above the kidneys. And essentially they're the glands that manage a lot of our stress hormones and so things like cortisol and 
to put it bluntly, he said, look, your adrenals are flatlining. Your gut is all over the shop, which means your immune system's not functioning. So no wonder you keep getting these infections because everything's just so depleted now. So it, from that point, which was a very, very low point, it was low for me in the sense that physically I could see what had happened to my body. But in so many ways, it was the most empowering moment that I'd had for so many years because I thought, right, I now know what I need to do to help to get my body back on track. And it definitely wasn't a linear process. And I do say that to a lot of my clients because healing, particularly if you're going to work on the root causes of things, is very rarely linear because we're not like animals. When they get sick, they basically just go and lie down in the woods until they heal. But we have our lives to carry on leading. And I was trying to keep myself together in this job that was so intense with so much travel. So it did take longer for me, but I just remember getting to a place where I just felt myself again, like physically, mentally, and I'd managed to wean myself off the prophylactic antibiotics. And it was at that point that I did have this almost epiphany of just saying, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this, this job anymore. And it was really weird. There was a weird, like many circumstantial events that happened that my mum called me up and said that a distant relative had died, which is obviously sad, but I, yeah, I didn't know them, but she said, oh, she's left me a little bit of money. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. She goes, I'm going to like divide it between you and your brother. And I said, okay, fine. So anyway, that was sort of in the back of my head, but Similarly, I was thinking I need to have a plan B out of this career that's making me unwell. And I just was so inspired about what I'd gained from this functional medical practitioner that I basically Googled nutritional therapy in London. And lo and behold, this course came up and the open day was that day. So I was just like, I'm going to rearrange my meetings. And I went to the open day and I kid you not, the course was a penny short of this sum of money that my mum was wow. about to give to me. And I was that like, that gave is me chills. Yeah. It was so weirdly serendipitous. So yes. I then decided, right, I'm just going to do it. I remember my boyfriend at the time was like, sorry, what are you going to do? What? And I did then sign up to the course and it was part-time because I needed to keep working. I had a mortgage to pay. So I was doing it on the weekends for three years. So it was tough going. Wow. Because I did have still have this intense job alongside. But I think the fact that I knew that I was doing something that was empowering, in all honesty, I didn't necessarily think doing it at the time that I'm going to become a therapist. I just knew that it was something I wanted to learn more about. Mm. But it just became quite evident towards the end of it that I really enjoyed all the clinical practice and being able to help people. And I just had got so much reward from, from it all that I just decided that I was going to leave fashion. And I and I remember that day distinctly as well, because I was looking after some really amazing luxury brands at the time. And my boss was like, um, but you're, you know, you're looking after like Celine and Givenchy. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but no, nah, I'm, I'm done now. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's so interesting when we really feel like we are aligned with a sense of deeper purpose and meaning because yeah. from the outside people are looking at you going what are you doing that doesn't make sense and that actually would I guess bother you far less because you know in your heart of hearts that that is the right next step not to say of course that you don't have those moments of doubt or fear which so many of us face but I um I wanted to ask 
thinking about so many people who have got or want to build a side hustle, let's say, which mm. is what is the brand or the term we use to describe a transition that somebody makes before yeah. they fully step into it. How did how did you find though that four year period where you were still working in something that you felt, let's say, less than passionate about? And then you have something else which is demanding even more on your time and your mm. energy and your resources, which could be depleted. Like, how did you find that experience? I don't know. It's a bit like when you've written, because I've written two books now. I, I don't really, I don't know how I did it at the time. Do you know what I mean? I just had to make it work. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were some moments where I, I was in Paris and I had to get a train back to sit an exam and get the next train back out to like, make make sure that I was at the show so there were some really hairy moments and and honestly I probably wasn't as dedicated to my studies as I could have been I did what I could and equally I wasn't as committed to my job I just did what I needed to do so I think there was definitely some compensatory things going on there I mean to be honest there, there were lots of reasons why my relationship at the time broke down but I do think it put a lot of strain on that as well because yeah. I just literally had no time and when I did I just wanted to go to bed and sleep but yeah it was it was challenging you know and I think talking about the fear thing it's like sometimes it does feel but there's a good fear when you know you're doing the right thing do you know mm. what I mean like I felt like I needed to make that jump and I actually in my career in fashion when I look back now it was really weird how well, not weird actually it was kind of obviously meant to be in the way that I I moved into roles that was, were essentially very much self-directed. So one of my roles was actually setting up from scratch the press office for the UK and Scandinavia for Dolce & Gabbana's second collection, D&G. So I had to create a whole system. And I just think, if I'd not had that, and then other roles that I went on to do, and when I went moved into my last job, which was at Carla Otto, which was an amazing agency, and I and I love Carla, and I've still got a lot of respect for her, and actually she was super supportive, as were most people in the fashion industry. Actually, they were just like, "Oh God, you got out of it," kind of thing. Um, right. You know, there was a lot of stuff. She wasn't based in the UK, so you had to be really, you had to take responsibility and be very much accountable for things yourself. And I think that actually really set me up well to be self-employed. So yes, there was fear, but I'd imagine if I was in a very traditional employed role, maybe it would have been more difficult mm. because so, I, yeah. Are you a spiritually minded person? I would say that I, I am spiritual, but I just think a lot of the time it's just being a bit more aware and a bit more present. And that could be interpreted as like, an aha angel moment or it's just more that you are more responsive and more open to situations or opportunities around you so I think it's a combination of the two like I like the way that Tara Svart who's written the source so she talks about manifestation yeah. but from a neuroscientist perspective like sitting here and dreaming something is not going to bring it to you like you have you have to make action points to that but just knowing what you want to do and putting it out there onto paper or whatever as an intention, it makes you make the steps towards achieving that. So I think yes. it's, for me, it's a combination of the two. Cause I would say, I, yeah, I, I would call myself spiritual for sure. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And uh, on the science of manifestation note, I would love for Tara to come on this podcast. No, yeah. she is she is brilliant, and I I yeah. really think there's a lot of value in in neuroscientists getting involved in this discussion and bringing yeah. something new to that science yeah. of manifestation. Let's go over to how did you now get into the work that you set up? So you took that leap to leave the fashion industry get qualified in nutritional therapy. And now what are you doing? You have your own practice, you have a podcast. Yeah. So again, like it wasn't, I didn't leave fashion one minute and then have this thriving nutritional practice the next day. It it takes time and it's still something that you have to actively work on as a nutritional therapist, because unlike a lot of therapies, like if you go for acupuncture or even like a herbalist or osteopathy, you're, you're having quite regular sessions and you kind of need to keep the momentum with that. With nu- nutritional therapy, if I've done my job properly, people shouldn't keep coming back and seeing me. So you do have to keep that momentum towards the practice going. And obviously word of mouth is the best way because, and I'd say the majority of my clients come that way, but initially it was about building it up. And so what I actually did when I first left fashion was a bit of a hybrid thing. So using my more than a decade's worth of experience and contacts, I mean, okay, they were fashion, but there's a lot of kind of crossover with well-being and beauty. And I've done a bit of a beauty stint before. So I basically set up a little um, PR agency and I was representing wellness brands because I thought, well, at least I can focus it in the area that I want to move into and have some money so I can you know, do this practice. Cause again, like I needed to pay a mortgage and, and all of this. So that's what I did initially. And to be honest, if I was a smart businesswoman, I probably would have carried on doing that because I got like eight clients within like as many months and I had to employ somebody and then it suddenly started taking over and I was like, okay, well, I'm now just doing PR, but just in a different area. And that's not really what I wanted to do. So then I kind of wound it back down again, but it was a good bridging gap and I made a lot of contacts. I'd say that the gut health thing, honestly, I, I I would say that gut health found me more than the other way around. And this is where through all of that pain and suffering, and it was awful mentally and physically when I was going through the challenges that I had and my gut health because of all the antibiotics I was taking, um, I I managed to turn it around positively in the sense that now I can totally understand clients when they're telling me about the symptoms because I personally resonate with it. So even though there was that hardship, it kind of like I said, gut health found me, maybe not in the nicest way initially, but now I have so much respect for our gut and how incredible it is and how you can turn it around because I'm a living proof of that, really. And And lived empathy and understanding, which is not to be dismissed or diminished in any way. Yeah, and even the clients, because I know other nutritionists that have just come from nutrition, they've not had a previous career or been faced with people that do live these kind of lives. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of industries like that where people don't have time or they're traveling and or they're traveling a lot and all this so I'm a real realist with my clients about what they the steps they need to take and it doesn't need to be perfect and actually so I get it on many levels I get it from a career time perspective but I get it from a symptom point of view as well but yeah it took it took years and then the book deal was another serendipitous thing so I, I have a good, great relationship with The Telegraph and The Guardian, actually. So I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky, actually, that I've had some journalists that have really supported me. But one in particular at Stella magazine and the woman, Diana Henry, who has written 
the recipes in Stella magazine for, I mean, gosh, I don't know, many, many years, but she had a week off or something. So Kate said to me, oh, how about we include some of your recipes and bearing in mind at this point I'd had no like public it was all the things that I'd done were literally on my Instagram of pictures that I'd taken they weren't like professional photographs or anything of that ilk and so she said yeah fine we can photograph them and honestly I'd say that was one of my biggest breaks because they did put me in one Sunday with like three of my recipes that they photographed beautifully and then off the back of that I had a few agents reaching out and then that transpired into me getting a book deal with Hachette and my publisher Zoe who has published my second book who no doubt will if I do do a third which hopefully I will she will publish the third so it just it's it's interesting isn't it how those live moments like had she not had that week off and Kate hadn't been in the office and gone oh let's let's stick Eve in there I mean it was like a really absolutely and talk about you know that old saying of one as one door closes another opens yeah I did last week I did an episode on how to deal with uncertainty because so many people who are in a period where they things aren't certain not as it ever is of course but if they're in between jobs or something's happened that's caught them on off guard or unexpectedly it can be so hard to be in that that middle zone of not knowing mm-hmm. where to go. And you often focus on the thing that just ended, that door that just closed and shut in front of your face instead yeah. of seeing the the opportunity that's at the other end of the hallway that you didn't, didn't notice at first. And then you hear stories like yours where you say this beautiful thing happened where a series of seemingly isolated events and circumstances came together to present me with the perfect opportunity that led me a step closer in the direction of where I wanted to go I mean amazing <laughs> I mean to- totally I mean even like again like I, I tutor for the Guardian masterclasses and I've had a long-standing relationship with them for many many years now but that was because somebody dropped out initially for like a there was they had a few people speaking like this one event and somebody knew somebody and they said oh you know Eve would be good for that and then off the back of that I I ended up now as one of their regular tutors so yeah there's been a few things like that that have happened and amazing yeah 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 special not to be dismissed that's for sure well let's go over into what is we have learned as your passion and that of the gut Mm. and gut health the mind gut connection first I want to ask what actually is the gut well the gut is essentially one long tube that starts at the point of entry and to the point of exit so from the mouth right the way through so anything along that tube is deemed the gut but when often when we talk about gut health 99% of the time most people are actually talking about the gut microbiome which are all of those trillions of bugs that I said live in our gut and those are mostly located in our large intestine I mean they are scattered throughout and we do have an oral microbiome for instance and a vaginal microbiome but most of them live in our large intestine. So when we talk about gut health, most of the time we're talking about that, but technically it is anything along that one long, very long tube. Okay. Entry to exit. Got it. That's more simple than I thought. Although I'm sure this word microbiome, people are like, what, what does that actually mean? And that is what you're referring to with bacteria, is it? Well, not just bacteria, you've got fungus in there and you've got things like parasites. So yeah, any kind of microbe really is deemed, we're not just talking about bacteria, although the majority of them are bacteria. And I think saying this as 
being relatively ignorant on this subject, but I hear those words, you know, parasite mm-hmm. and bacteria, and it's so hard to conceptualize that that could possibly be a positive thing for me to have in my yeah. body. No, I know. I think it's because, I mean, there's so much now around things like hygiene hypothesis, which is where children that are lesser exposed to bacteria have a tendency towards a lot of the atopic conditions like asthma and eczema. And there's a lot of correlations with that. Essentially, if we sterilize ourselves too much, we will not survive. I mean, we are dependent on the health of our microbiome. And so this kind of I guess, extreme view of antibiotics, sanitizing everything has actually led to a detrimental effect to our microbiome. And the knock-on effect to us is that we do have then negative effects on our immune system, but even our cognitive health. So for instance, there are huge studies now around major depressive disorder and noticing that that patients that suffer from this disorder actually have a lot of missing microbes in their microbiome. So there's a lot of diseases that are now related to either like cognition so even things like parkinson's disease one of the main early symptoms for parkinson's is constipation and i previously worked with an amazing probiotic brand called simprove and they're leading clinical trials on this with king's college london on how probiotics can actually help to at least store progression of the disease, but looking at how they can predict whether somebody might be more predisposed to Parkinson's just based on the composition of their microbiome. So when we get too heavy on that kind of antibacterial, antiparasitic type of thing, obviously there are parasites and bacteria that you categorically don't want, but generally most of them are actually pretty good for us. So by trying to kill them off, essentially it's to our own detriment really I think we're coming back out well we were coming out of that and as the understanding around gut health is progressing and people are getting into things like fermented foods because those are basically prolific in in all these bacteria and yeast that we definitely want to have in our gut just the pandemic obviously took us back quite a long way with all of that hand sanitizing wearing the masks but yeah ultimately we don't want to be like super super clean as it were, we do need to have these microbes in and on our body. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel way less guilty now that I forget about 60% of the time to wash my son's hands <laughs> yeah, before yeah, food yeah. or snacking or something. And he's been out playing and, you know, dirt's going everywhere. But okay, good, yeah, good no, for the gut on some level. Definitely. 100%. <laughs> I'm also really fascinated to hear about the link between our gut health and our mental mm-hmm. health because. You know, a lot, even with what I have been doing on this podcast, a lot of the time I'm having conversations about how important it is to become aware of our thoughts and the role that our brain has on our general health and how that obviously Mm -hmm. links to conditions such as anxiety or even not necessarily disorders, but perfectionism and all these other things that are less than desirable for us. But I think to hear that, it's also the other way around, like a two-way highway, you know, actually Definitely. like taking care of our body first and understanding the role that plays in reverse is also mm-hmm. crucial. Definitely. Can you elaborate a little more on this connection between our gut health and mental health? Yeah, so it's, it's definitely much more of a bi-directional relationship. And as we're understanding more about what the microbiome does we understand more about its link with cognitive health which could be 
things like the neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's or mood disorders, things like depression, anxiety. So there's a few ways in which there is that connection. So one is that a lot of the neurotransmitters that we naturally assume are produced in our brain, like serotonin, which is like I said, dubbed the happy neurotransmitter, 95% of that is produced in our gut by our microbes. So obviously if we don't have a gut that's healthy, we're not gonna be producing sufficient amounts of these neurotransmitters. And there are also different ways in which our gut and our brain communicate to each other. So one is, like you said, like the highway is a good analogy, which is by the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is a big, long nerve that starts at the base of the brain right the way through, meanders through to the top of the digestive system. So that is a direct way that the gut and the brain communicate to each other using the same language. They're using these neurotransmitters and it is back and forth. Another interesting way that our gut and our brain communicate which again has its knock-on effects potentially to things like mood disorders is via the immune system so our microbes produce certain substances one of which is called butyrate our microbes produce butyrate when we feed them essentially fiber really which we get in most plant-based foods fruits vegetables nuts and seeds whole grains so again if we're not having a diet that's prolific in plant foods, then that doesn't serve our microbes to produce a lot of these positive substances. But butyrate is really important for the functioning of the gut barrier and also the brain barrier. So if we have a leaky gut, then things that should stay in our gut actually start moving out from the gut and we can create, even on a low grade level, chronic inflammation. And now studies and research are linking that chronic inflammation to mood disorders. So basically saying that depression and anxiety are not purely of cognitive origin, that they actually might be potentially driven by increased inflammation in the body. So there's that element to it as well. And where that gut connection, gut to brain connection has such an important role. I mean, so, I've yeah. got to credit the science in this, but it seems so intuitive to know that we need yeah. to have a holistic approach to our health, doesn't it? You know, we are seeing more and more holistic health coaches, but it's really because we're realizing, well, we need to do all of these things. We need to take care of our body. We need to take care of our brain. Yeah. So science giving us the language to explain something that feels very intuitive based on how we often feel in our body anyway. Totally. I think it's true, but I also think it's really important for people to understand the connection because otherwise it's a bit too abstract. Okay, were you telling me I need to eat healthy to help support my mood, but why? You know, I think once you understand a bit more about that, I mean, sure, there's other things we could go into, like having more fiber in our diet. Not only does that help to support the health of the microbiome and helping us to manage inflammation, as I mentioned, and to produce some of these neurotransmitters, but also helps to balance blood sugar levels. So we don't have these peaks and troughs because that can massively impact on somebody's mood and their energy levels. But I think certainly in my experience, when you explain it in layman's terms, and I'm all about trying to simplify things as much as possible because it is very complicated. The whole gut health or well, nutrition, I mean, don't get me started. I mean, nutrition is like a minefield of misinformation and bias. And so if you can simplify it, but just give people really tangible points on why these things are important and how it has an impact, I think they're just m much more likely to want to invest in it or, or action these points rather than it just being, like I said, a little bit too abstract.
Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and and people would switch off or not even remember yeah. a single thing that was uttered and go, oh, that's another person telling me to eat healthily because it matters. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. So what are some tangible signs that people listening to this right now could take to note if they have a gut that is subpar or less than optimal in terms of its functioning? Yeah, just before we move off of that, topic channel there's one other line of communication that I didn't mention there but I think is really relevant to most of us living in a modern world and that is via the hormonal axes the HPA axes and the HPA axes essentially is where our endocrine system meets the nervous system so it has a massive role in terms of stress and again so when we're producing a lot of those stress hormones like cortisol like a lot of us are Cortisol actually has a direct impact on the composition of the microbes in our gut, which I mentioned before, but basically means we have less of the healthy bugs and more of the not so healthy bugs in our gut, but also directly impacts on the gut barrier functioning. So it can damage that gut barrier. So again, talking about the leaky gut, stress can actually feed into that, that loop of inflammation as well. So that's really important to note too. The studies and research show that actually based on the composition of our microbiome, we can have more or less of a heightened response to stress. So the microbiome in itself impacts on our stress response. So there's also that connection to just to add that one into the mix. Yeah. No, I think that, it's really relevant to your listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people would think, I mean, I've been subject to this many a time. Am I am I not so great at handling stress because I'm really sensitive? And there's never any part where I'm considering that there's a physical component to that. I automatically yeah. assume it's entirely personality related, in fact. And this is why when you talk about things like how do we better frame our mindset around things or how can we do things that help us to cope mentally, emotionally, it's like it goes hand in hand, but you can't have one without the other so the more stress we get, you can do loads of gut work, but if we're not working on our mind, then we're only doing half the job anyway. But equally, I would argue that we can do a lot of mindset. And I'm a big fan of meditation. Like I really advocate it or whatever it is that helps you to, to get into that mindful practice because different people, it could be like gardening, it could be walking, but we, we definitely need to have this doubled pronged approach. Well, multifactorial actually, I'd say, because you, know, you add in things like sleep and exercise. And, but certainly if we're talking about the gut brain connection, it definitely needs to be both sides of the equation there. Yeah. Going back over to the question of like, how do you know if your gut's not functioning? Well, look, we have, most of us have a daily or hopefully we do have a daily reading about what, what might be going on there. And I'm not suggesting that people obsessively check their number twos, but you can get a really good sense of what's going on in your gut just by ha having a quick glance down. So there are a few things you need to look at when you're analyzing whether or not your poo is essentially healthy, right? So consistency is one thing. So you want to have like an ice cream type consistency. Hopefully nobody's listening to this while they're eating there dinner or something but um or cooking spoiler alert in there <laughs> I yeah. should <laughs> um eating their breakfast so consistency is one thing there's something called the Bristol stool chart that's quite useful if you want to look at that which basically shows you about what it should essentially look up you don't want anything too watery or anything like pellet size sort of pellet type poo so that's the ideal consistency um regularity so going to the toilet 
at least once a day, ideally once or twice a day, anything more or less than that, then things might not be moving along quite as they should be. Um, efficiency is another one, which is being able to go to the toilet and feeling like you've fully evacuated. So going to the toilet and yeah, you're not in there for hours and hours and not taking a book as a prerequisite and equally you don't want to be rushing with urgency. So so those are the types of the things that you kind of want to be looking out for. If you notice things like blood or mucus in the stools, you definitely want to go immediate, particularly blood, to go to your GP and have that checked out ASAP because that definitely shouldn't be happening. But just looking at some of those key things can just tell you what is going on. So you might have obvious digestive things happening um, if you're getting excessive amounts of bloating. Now, this is bloating is a topic that I think, again, can be very misleading because people think you should be walking around with washboard abs all the time, and that's just not the case. Most of us will have a slightly rounded belly. Bloating is totally normal. In fact, you want a little bit of bloating because that's the microbes fermenting so if you're eating fiber you are going to get a little bit of that like side effect of gas what i'm talking about is like extreme bloating that's uncomfortable distended and generally not related or, or cannot be related to meals but anywhere it's persistent and it's excessive that's what you want to be checking out really again probably something you should go to gp for first so that would be one thing. And even talking about gas. So gas is actually really healthy. We want to be doing a bit of that because again, that's our microbes fermenting and that's a normal side effect. If it's really excessive, then obviously that's something that may, might show that your gut is, is not quite in the right place. You might react to, you have a, an overreaction to eating certain foods where you get a lot of this bloating and gas immediately or burping and things like that immediately after eating them. So some of those things might be things to look out for. And just um, on that note, a couple of quick questions come to mind. Yeah. So one on the frequency. So if yeah. if someone listening just has that experience or any of those experiences that you just described on one isolated occasion, does that mm -hmm. potentially indicate that you have had trouble digesting something you ate that day and therefore that's not something you should be eating? Or to have something that is a gut health issue potentially, does this need to be happening for a longer period of time? I mean, if it's like a one-off, it's not usually an indication of something that's a chronic issue. But if it's been happening for, say, three to six months consistently, then there is something going on. And like I said, if it is some of the red flags, which is blood, mucus, persistent bloating, then you should go and see a GP first just to rule things out. I think a lot of the time people want to blame food for gut health symptoms mm. or problems but food is just one small part of that puzzle you know stress alone I mean I've got a client who calls it her mind bloat because whenever she gets stressed she gets immediately bloated because things like serotonin that we consider as our happy hormone serotonin actually has a role to play in motility through the gut as well so shifts in our emotional well-being or stress hormones can also impact on on our gut too so it's not just about food I think food is always yeah. the first thing that people blame it and is it, yeah I, yeah and, I, and I'm not saying that that's not the case for some people because of course it is but I just think it tends to be the first thing and in my experience as a practitioner what I do see is a lot of people 
just eliminating entire food groups without even thinking about it and actually to their own detriment because they end up nutritionally depleted or missing certain key nutrients because they've eliminated foods that they may or may you know may not even have an issue with and actually in my experience it's not usually food's fault it's normally that there's an underlying gut health issue going on which again is likely to be multifactorial. So then what are the other components? So obviously food is one of them, but there are others, stress you've named. Are there any additional ones that come to mind? Yeah, like lack of hydration can be another one. Uh, Sleep, if we don't get enough sleep, that can certainly impact on our gut health as well. Certain medications or even supplements that we might be taking. So there's a whole host of things that could be causing that not related to food. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the things that we can do then to support a healthy gut? Well, the first thing is really just having sufficient amounts of fiber in the diet. And a lot of us do fall short on that. So it's it's about the quantity of fiber that we're having. Guidelines say 30 grams a day, but we're all different. So we kind of might be circumnavigating that number, but around that amount, which Again, it's kind of hard to comprehend. So roughly that could be something like four to five types of vegetables, two types of fruit, a handful of nuts and seeds, maybe a portion or two of grains per day would probably give you your daily amount. You definitely be meeting with that. But as we know about gut health or more and more, we know about the gut microbiome and gut health generally, it's not just about quantity, but diversity. So that whole five a day campaign, which is basically based around the amount predominantly has actually kind of been rethought in gut health circles to something more like 30 per week and that means Mm. looking for like 30 different types of fiber a week so rather than thinking about quantity which sure we need to make sure we're having enough but it's also about diversity because the more diverse types of fiber we take in through our diet the more that cultivates a diverse and ergo healthier and stronger gut microbiome because different microbes like to eat different types of fiber. That's why we want to diversify. So that's when I see clients that have really reduced their diet. They're actually, again, it's to the detriment of their microbiome. And then they start having gut symptoms because they've limited what they're eating. So some just simple hacks for that, that I use in my practice, things like you know, having nuts and seed mixes. So putting like six or seven different nuts and seeds that you mix up into like a pot and then you can just sprinkle it on things like porridges, overnight oats, soup, salad, all of that stuff. So you're not, it doesn't need to be like really laborious and just even using the same formula. So a lot of people enjoy things like overnight oats, for instance, or porridges in the morning. So I just say, well, look, get a few different grains and just rotate. So you're getting different grains in that same formula as it were but you're actually just getting that natural diversity and adding in different nut butters for each one so again it's like you're using the same methodology but you're just easily rotating around some of those sources and some examples of grains so things like overnight oats so you might switch that up for things like quinoa or buckwheat or millet millet's actually millet porridge is really nice spelt spelt flakes rye so just yeah like diversifying those grains can really again help to get that natural rotation without thinking oh my god I've got to make a different meal do you know what I mean yeah Um, because I think 
people are time poor. So yeah, it can be quite- and especially if you don't really know what to do. I mean, when, when you said mm-hmm. that to me, I was just thinking of having a trail mix type thing to snack on. You know how you typically mm-hmm. buy that have different yeah. nuts and seeds mixed in with some dried fruit and yeah. Or what is a way if people think this stuff is really gross tasting, how can you make it not taste bad? I don't know if the first thing that comes to mind is like blending something up in a smoothie or masking it in some way. Well, true, but I think it's about almost recultivating our taste buds a bit, isn't it? Eve, um, you could have used this as a plug for your book. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I'm ter- See, I'm awful at self-promotion. <laughs> no, but I, do- I think that, yeah, look, adding, I'm, this is why I'm a big fan of, of spices and dried herbs. And also they count as plants. So when I say 30 per week, like it doesn't necessarily need to be vegetables or fruits or nuts and seeds or grains. It can also be spices because they're very high in things like polyphenols, which are essentially plant chemicals that a lot of the time give them their color. So you can add those into your meal. So like even something super simple like scrambled eggs, honestly, is elevated flavor wise and gut health wise by putting in a bit of turmeric and a bit of cumin and maybe some chili flakes. And you've got three plants in there then without even thinking about it. And those are great because they're not going to go off. So you can build up a bit of a nice store cupboard there. So I'm a big fan of that and just adding flavor, even simple bits of flavor into foods. But yeah, blending things into smoothies. Although I try to move clients away from that because it does break down the fiber. So it's not as good. It breaks down the fiber. Do you know what? That just makes me feel like I've been totally scammed by like Nutribullet, which I bought a few years back, which was all about blend to break up the seeds to get more out of them so that you can digest it. Because there was this, what I hear commonly is like, oh, you can't digest that type of seed fully or that is going to come out completely and you're not going to be able to absorb it into your system. Mm. Is that a myth? It's not a myth. It's just, so if somebody's gut is struggling to digest certain foods, then I'd be working on their underlying gut health, not getting them to blend everything. Like that's just a sticky plaster treatment. If somebody's struggling to break down foods or digest foods, then I'd like, let's see how we can support your gut health and, and improve your digestion. I'm not anti them. The thing is, it's just that when you blend up, so it's typically a smoothie, you will, you know, blend often some fruits and things like that in there and when it's blended in terms of blood this is more blood sugar levels really but it does tend to spike blood sugar levels rather than eating a whole piece of fruit because the fiber helps to slow down the release of carbohydrates so that's why smoothies are not really soups I mean you know mostly they're going to be vegetable aren't they so not quite that kind of like peak and troughing with blood sugar levels, but smoothies, I actually, depending on the smoothie, so that's the thing, like if somebody's having like largely vegetable base and then there's a tiny bit of apple or something in there to sweeten it, fine. But quite often it's a lot of tropical fruits and there's maybe a sniff of a vegetable, like a handful of spinach in there and that's about it. So that's actually a bit of a sugar bomb then. So I'm a yeah, bit like, right. it really depends on what you're putting into that smoothie. I mean, I wouldn't discard it and it's better than like obviously having like i don't know like cheerios (laughs) or something but like oh yeah but still i think it's just again some of these foods that are healthy in inverted commas i mean i could go on you know things like protein powders and these healthy bars some of which have got more sugar gram for gram than a mars bar of course 
They don't have the hydronated oils and all the kind of like added chemical ultra processed ingredients in there. But I'm just saying it's not quite as clear cut mm. in some regards with some of these foods. But, and going, yeah. going back to what you said before about, you know, a hack of somebody being able to easily implement this in their lives. Do you have any mm -hmm. other suggestions on that front? Because I think mm -hmm. with behavior change, obviously it yeah. takes concerted effort. And I think for people who aren't necessarily really active and accustomed in this space already it feels like such an uphill climb so i'm just like just little things making little changes over the bigger period i try not to overwhelm on my channel or, or in my books i'm a big fan of a nut and seed mix because you can just do that at home you just literally get a whole different load of them into a jar and mix them up that's going to take you seconds to do also don't forget about frozen fruits and vegetables or jars because I think a lot of it is convenience a lot of the time people don't want to go out and necessarily buy things or they might go off so I would say use that definitely to your advantage and batch cooking I'm a big fan of that as well and freezing so again you can get that natural rotation without having to prepare something new every night so yeah those would be probably some of my top tips yeah i'm going to move into the final fast few questions now mm -hmm. eve and the first question i wanted to ask you was is there something that you used to believe that you no longer believe there's lots of things i mean i'd like to say that if you are an intelligent human being you realize that it's not a weakness to admit that you were wrong and change your opinions about things and i'd say nutrition is one of the the most dogmatic areas of science and I would definitely say that I'm not one of those people because I think it's very much a very rapidly evolving science. So I'm sure there are things that I would change my mind around in the future for sure. And I really don't like the quote, everything happens for a reason. I think it's really breeding toxic positivity. And I don't think it allows for people to receive or give empathy and really feel into emotions that are brutal and raw. The only reason I, I mention that is that I had a very tragic loss in my family about four years ago where I lost my little brother. And after that, I realized that things don't happen. Not everything happens for a reason, actually. And I think it's okay for us to admit that that's not true. So I, that for me, is one major thing that I just don't believe in mm. at all anymore. Mm. And you used to? I think yeah. so, yeah. And when I really, when you think about, I'm sure you could, guess, talk a lot more about this because this is not my area really, but around that whole toxic positivity, it can be really toxic. And so I think there's one side of us that are leaning more into mindfulness and talking and being more open but then there was another side I think born through feeds that are heavily filtered and lives that don't really exist that it all looks glossy and, and amazing and wonderful but actually it's not and I think it feeds into that toxic positivity loop and I think that quote kind of is really landed in that for mm. me interesting perspective so, I remember my mother always used to say it growing up and yeah and it used to annoy the hell out of me because mm -hmm. I would but how do you know that and it mm -hmm. always angered me because there was never a reason for it and I felt like it was a means to justify or to make meaning or sense out of what can often be difficult circumstances yeah. and I realized I do hear both sides of the story to that with your instances like there's grief and and suffering there and how could that happen for a reason that seems awful and tragic and then other people saying that the idea of that helped me to heal mm -hmm. 
I think we all find ways that work for us in life totally. and agree that you know where we can limit dogma and be more tolerant work on being less judgmental too and allowing stuff to sit where you mm -hmm. need it to without proselytizing and forcing your views on somebody else but potentially inciting someone's curiosity sure but don't shovel it down their mouth mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely second what is one quote or affirmation that resonates with you that you'd like to share I don't know where I heard, well, I do know, actually, it was my yoga teacher that said it, but I think she borrowed this quote because yoga has been an absolute mainstay. I actually think at points it's, it genuinely saved my life and it's been part of my life since I was, gosh, about 18. I'm now 43, so a long time. But she said that you are always in the right place at the right time. And I really like that quote. Well, and I can, again, I, I can understand that with you and the stories that you've shared with the way that doors have opened for you and opportunities have presented. I also hear that as being a reason to say yes to things. Totally. And sometimes when, it, when you have challenging situations, it's about knowing that you're there, that's there to challenge you and you don't necessarily know why at the time, but it's not to make light of it in the same way that I'm talking about the previous quote. It's just knowing that you are in the right place at the right time. But yeah, I, I like that. And lastly, what is one piece of advice that you would give to listeners who are inspired to take control of their gut health and live a happier, healthier life? I would say that you can change your gut by the very next meal that you eat and it's totally within your power to do that and I'm not belittling it because it's obviously a much more complex issue but just saying that you can be empowered to change it if you so desire yeah beautiful it is. It's knowing things, you know, you have the ability to start right now to not yeah. look at folk over focus on the end, but see what is within your control, what is realistic and achievable. Yeah, definitely. Inspiring too. Eve, thank you so much for your time today and sharing some wisdom and knowledge with us on a very important topic for our health. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to all of you listening. If you know of anyone who you think this podcast would interest, please do send it along to them. And in the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderful week.